On Enmeshed, we discuss crimes and situations that may be disturbing for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Enmeshed, the show that reveals some of the most poisonous people come disguised as family. Enmeshed family members are fused together by unhealthy emotions instead of the strong bonds that signal a well-functioning family. Boundaries are blurred and unhealthy relationship patterns are formed. Hello and welcome to Enmeshed, the podcast that explores family relationships and crime. I'm Amanda. And I'm Pam. And today we're talking about a family who raised four generations of criminals, the Bogle clan. This family is a prime example of a family that prays together, stays together. And we aren't talking about church. According to an article written by Eric Spitznagel in the New York Post in 2018, when Bobby Bogle was four years old in 1969, he woke up on Christmas morning to discover a single gift from his dad, a heavy metal wrench in a plain brown paper bag. Bobby might have been young, but... He got the hint. Later that day, he and his brothers used the wrench to break into a local grocery store and steal soda. When his father, a career criminal who went by the name Rooster, learned of their burglary, he smiled and said, quote, yep, that's my son's, unquote. Fox Butterfield writes in his book, In My Father's House, A New View of How Crime Runs in the Family, Rooster's pride over his children's first foray into crime was, quote, as if celebrating a school report card with straight A's or a little league home run, unquote. Bobby Bogle wasn't the first to break the law in his family, and he'd by no means be the last. It was a crime spree that spanned four generations and crossed multiple states from Texas to Oregon, beginning in the early 1920s. According to an article written by Jacqueline Cutler in the Daily News, the Bogle clan began in Paris, Texas with the 1921 marriage of Lewis and Elvie, transplants from rural Tennessee. Elvie worked in the five and dime. Lewis didn't have a dime. So the couple ran away to join the carnival. Lewis did odd jobs. Elvie was the breadwinner, racing a motorcycle up and around high curved walls for five bucks a week and all the tips she could grab. At night, the couple slept in railroad cars and drank. During winters, they returned to Texas and slept anywhere they could find. Their families shunned them as trash. Meanwhile, Elvie raised five boys, all of whom would grow up to have criminal records. Lewis ran stills. He was caught, but received a suspended sentence. The prisons were already filled with bootleggers at the time. Living outside society, the Bogles took pride in being outlaws. They bragged about the time the gangster Pretty Boy Floyd used their shack as a hideout. When he left, he gave Elvie money to buy her kids' shoes. Well, how thoughtful, Pretty Boy. When carny work dried up in the 30s, Lewis got a job in a junkyard. Elvie mostly faked slip and falls. Their growing boys made their own crooked way, hijacking trucks as soon as they could see over the steering wheels. More cocky than clever, 
three of the boys once stole a safe. With no idea of how to open it, they cut through the top with a torch, splattering molten metal on the bills. As soon as they started spending the marked money, they were arrested. Rooster, the spoiled baby of the brood, wound up on probation. He was later sent to the penitentiary for shoplifting. Released at 19, he married 14-year-old Kathy Curtis. His refusal to get a job drew the unwelcome attention from his parole officer. So Elvie, the mob barker of the family, took charge and announced they were all moving to Oregon, where another ex-con son, Charlie, had become an iron worker. Enmeshment time. They settled in Salem. Thirteen days into his job on a mushroom farm, Rooster staged his own slip and fall, pocketing $928 from the insurance company. Later that year, in the spring of 1962, while on a family drive, Elvie told Rooster to sideswipe a passing truck. They blamed the accident on the trucker, claiming he injured the heavily pregnant Kathy. That scam brought a $10,000 settlement. You've got to be kidding. Nope. Meanwhile, Rooster continued to do everything but work. He went on welfare. He had more kids with Kathy. He was arrested for contributing to the delinquency of a minor, but received a suspended sentence. So he turned around and seduced another girl, Linda White, a 16-year-old migrant worker. He promised her marriage, but instead moved her into his and Kathy's home. Kathy told the teen she didn't mind. That way, I'll see more of Rooster, she said, because he won't be out so much at night chasing after you. Oh boy, whatever works for you, Rooster. cock it'll do. Eric Spitznagel's article goes on to say, Butterfield describes the Bogle's criminal creativity as, quote, crazy and cartoonish, unquote. It wasn't enough just to be bad. The Bogles had to be wicked. They stole everything from chickens and cows to lumber and metal, and once broke into a government-run fish hatchery just to gorge on salmon. What had already been chaos soon became hell. When a drunken rooster wasn't having sex with the women, sometimes at the same time, he was beating them, and the family kept growing. Linda had two children with him, Kathy, four more. All in all, Rooster sired nine children. All would end up with a record. As soon as the boys were six or seven, Rooster got them drunk. By the time they were 11 or 12, he took them along when he picked up women, even offering them their turns when he was done. That's wrong on so many levels. It was a strange approach to sex ed. Then again, what was normal for the Bogle family? When one of Kathy's sons, Bobby, turned 16, she took him to a strip club. She laughed at his shock when the star turned out to be his sister, Melody. Oh, no, 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 no. Rooster spent most of his time teaching his boys the one thing he valued, stealing. Soon, the children's crimes outpaced his. Tony, the oldest, tortured dogs and cats, once setting so many on fire that a nearby field burned. The arrest began when he was 12 and ended a decade later with a murder trial. Tony protested that the victim had tried to rape his wife 
and he only choked him after she had already bashed in his skull. He wound up with 26 years to life. And just like the theft, the violence was passed from generation to generation. Convinced a man cheated him on some shady business deal, Bobby and his kid brother Tracy stormed the man's house. They tied up the man and his girlfriend, then beat them. Tracy tried to force the woman to give him oral sex, but he was too drunk. Finally, they stole the woman's purse, car, and some jewelry. They were arrested the next day. Bobby wound up with 30 years, given that he already had eight felony convictions. Tracy, who had no adult record, came off with a lighter sentence of 16 years and the lifetime label of registered sex offender. As a result, when he was freed and started a family, Tracy was barred from being around his own baby. Since his release, he's been back to prison twice. We did it all as a family, Tracy said later, looking back on a childhood of helping their father break into neighbors' houses with mom driving the getaway car. Quote, we had pride in our family doing these robberies, so it was fun. We were a crime family, unquote. The Bogle story may be only anecdotal evidence of crime as a hereditary disease, but Butterfield finds other factors. Mental illness certainly ran in the Bogle family, and some scientists have suggested there's another physical component, a genetic marker that indicates how well we handle stress. The Bogle family offers a stark contrast to what we traditionally believe about the causes of criminal behavior. A landmark study in the mid-90s by conservative think tank the Heritage Foundation titled The Real Root Causes of Violent Crime, concluded that most crime had its roots in broken families and habitual deprivation of parental love. It's an opinion that's been fundamental to our understanding of human nature since the 50s when psychologist Harry Harlow demonstrated that a strong emotional bond with one's parents or a secure attachment can make all the difference in a child's emotional and social development. But what Butterfield found after extensive research and interviews with Bogle family members, all of whom were serving or had served time in prison, jail, or a juvenile reformatory, was exactly the opposite. In this case, stronger family ties would not have saved the Bogles from their own worst instincts. Being part of a close, loving, and supportive family is what made them such unrepentant criminals. The Bureau of Justice Statistics, the research arm of the Justice Department, estimates that there are 1.7 million children with a parent in prison on any given day out of a prison population of roughly 2.2 million. But we don't know exact statistics on the number of crimes in the U.S., committed by people related to criminals. Butterfield says, quote, That is part of the problem. There is no government agency charged with keeping figures on the number of people arrested who have fathers, mothers, aunts, and uncles or grandparents and children of their own who have been arrested or sent to prison, unquote. Butterfield discovered the Bogles while researching a magazine piece on law-breaking families. A prison contact in Oregon told Butterfield 
He had had family with what he thought at the time was six members in prison, but the real total was 60. The Bogles had many of the risk factors commonly linked to a future in crime, such as poverty, alcoholism, and child abuse. One of the houses passed down through several generations of Bogles was constructed from used battery crates, which were stained with leaking acid that smelled disturbingly toxic, but as the family liked to joke, at least it kept out the roaches. Nobody in the family was especially bright. They murdered people and then made calls to their mother from the victim's home phone. They wedded off their teenage son to a police detective's underage daughter by forging birth certificates and then making their son wear a fake mustache. However outlandish or reprehensible their choices, it all became part of their mythology, Butterfield writes. And that mythology is something every Bogle, young and old, wanted to live up to, not run away from. As Tracy Bogle explains to the author, quote, If I'd been raised in a family of doctors, I'd probably be a doctor. But I was raised in a family of outlaws who hated the law, end quote. We talk a lot about family values in this country, adds Butterfield. Quote, the assumption seems to be that family values are always a good thing, but sometimes family values can go very, very wrong, unquote. Pointing out the cycle of criminality is one thing, but the questions get trickier when it comes to how to stop it. Should kids be taken away from their criminal parents? We may have a knee-jerk repulsion to the very idea of it, but there is evidence that separation works. When Hurricane Katrina devastated much of New Orleans in 2005, it created what University of Texas criminologist David Kirk called a natural experiment. When state prisoners were released after the disaster, few of them had homes that weren't destroyed, so they had the choice to rebuild or leave. Those who made a new life in another city or state far away from their families, Kirk found, were 15% less likely to be rearrested over the next three years compared to those who stayed with relatives. Butterfield also points to a unique case in southern Italy where one judge started a program in which the children of convicted mafia families were taken from their parents and relocated to a different part of the country, given new identities and caregivers. Butterfield says, quote, It's basically a child witness protection program, unquote. Although controversial, it's been so successful since its inception in 2012, with 100% of the separated boys and girls giving up on crime or avoiding it completely. It's now being implemented in other parts of the country. It's unlikely that a similar program could work in the U.S. Imagine if our Justice Department announced a Commit a Crime and Your Child Comes With Us initiative tomorrow. If nothing else, Butterfield says we should be focusing more on how family, even a loving, supportive family, isn't always a positive dynamic. Butterfield says, quote, When somebody gets arrested, the police don't ask them, do you have a father or mother or aunt, or uncle, or brother, or sister in prison? When they appear in court, the judge doesn't ask that question. If they're sent to prison, the prison doesn't ask those questions. It's understandable because that's not their job. They're just trying to preserve order, 
But if we started looking at the real risk factors, not just punishing, but taking a view of the larger picture, we could get a clue about where trouble is coming before it happens, unquote. So how do we stop the pattern in its tracks? Butterfield has many suggestions to stop the pattern, from giving financial incentives to ex-convicts to move away from their communities to bringing therapy to entire families of young juvenile offenders. He was particularly impressed with a now-defunded program in Jacksonville, Florida, where agencies that would not normally share records, such as school boards and police departments, met regularly to discuss troubled kids. It yielded at least one success story with a seven-year-old boy named Freddie. When his family's criminal history was discovered, the Florida prosecutor decided to skip juvenile court and instead send the boy to a reformatory, separating him briefly from his mother. He was never arrested again. More often than not, when a bogle broke the law, they did it out of love or respect for their parents, not fear. They didn't steal to escape the wrath of mom and dad. They did it to make them proud. In what Brother Tracy describes as one of his happiest memories, he recounts how he and his brothers broke into a local bar and emptied the cash register, then woke up their sleeping mother by dumping a sack of bills on her face. She opened her eyes and shrieked with joy. Butterfield writes, quote, Just telling the story made Tracy happy. He laughed so hard the tears rolled down his cheeks and his body shook with pleasure, unquote. It's ironic that the Bogles often have more insight into their own behavior than most criminologists. In a letter to the author, written by Tony Bogle while he was in prison on a murder rap, he recalled that his dad, Rooster, would sometimes drive him past the Oregon State Correctional Institution when he was a teenager, pointing at it and telling him, quote, you'll soon be there, son, unquote. Tony wrote, quote, his own failures made him aware that I would be the byproduct of his own handiwork. Like a lazy farmer knows his crops will only be third grade produce, unquote. Are you planning an event with audio and visual needs but are not sure where to start? Waves Entertainment can help. Waves Entertainment is your premier full-service management company with high-quality custom solutions for any size event. Whether you are planning a large festival or concert, a corporate meeting or wedding, Waves Entertainment will power your event to excellence. Our team of industry professionals work closely with your vision to ensure your audience hears every word, sees every detail, and remembers the experience. Our goal is to ensure your event is customized to fit your needs and provide professional-grade equipment to amplify your message. From live stage production and talent booking to vendor coordination, event staffing, and more, Waves Entertainment is your one-stop shop for the perfect event. Visit our website, wavesentertainment.com, or give us a call at 704-662-2435. That's 704-662-2435. Waves Entertainment, powering your event to excellence. Only one member of the Bogles escaped the family's crime legacy, a granddaughter of Rooster named Ashley. 
She was the first Bogle to attend and graduate college with an associate's degree in 2016, an especially remarkable feat given that her younger sister was a junkie and unwed mother sent to jail for drug possession. But even when she should have been celebrating what she achieved, Ashley was mostly filled with guilt. She told Butterfield, quote, I didn't want to stand out and make my family think I felt special, unquote. But she did it anyway, mostly by her own self-determination. Her father tried to distance her from her relatives, but the biggest factor seems to be the emotional distance Ashley felt from her family. She told Butterfield, quote, The whole Bogle Sigma didn't apply to me. I don't think about it, honestly. I just figure that everybody in the family has the opportunity to make their own choices, unquote. Today, she's a single mother living alone and working as a medical records technician at a hospital in suburban Oregon. Even though Ashley's daily commute takes her past the prison where her grandfather and many extended family members served time, she, quote, does not dwell on this curious coincidence, unquote. Butterfield feels confident that she may have actually broken the family curse, but he still calls Ashley every few weeks like a nervous parent just to see how she's doing. Ashley broke the enmeshment chain. Thank you for listening. All of our sources are in today's show notes, as well as those important resources. You can find us at enmeshed underscore true crime podcast on Instagram or enmeshed true crime podcast on Facebook and let us know what you think. You can also get a behind the scenes look at the show and chat with us about any of the cases you've heard here or share case suggestions. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to keep up with enmeshed and join us every Monday for fresh takes on stale relationships. Enmeshed is an Oh No production. Oh no!